Each year, as Christmas draws near, there is something special in the air. We all feel it. From the decorations and carols, warm drinks and cozy slippers, it's as if the season taps into a holy longing deeply ingrained within us. You see, this season stirs up within our souls a burning desire we were created to crave. The advent of our King, the arrival of our Savior, our God come near. All of our lives we've experienced the curse of the fall, the shadow that sin cast upon this wounded world. But with the arrival of Jesus, hope came down, love drew near, our King came to conquer. Death will be no more. Shame will be undone. For with the advent of Jesus, the curse is broken. How are we doing this morning? Oh, you guys enjoy that snow globe out there? Oh man, every dad with four-wheel drive is like, this is my moment. Get in the car, we're going to church, kids. Oh, I love it, it's so good. So uh, my wife and I, our, our family, were driving down the road the other day. And uh, our, my mother-in-law is in the passenger seat next to me. That's Gigi. And uh, we always love when Gigi comes to visit. And my wife's sitting in the back seat middle. And my two kids are in the back. And uh, we, get brought, we, we start talking about the topic of my mom. Because my mom had uh, passed away about four years ago pretty suddenly. And uh, she loved Thanksgiving. And the holidays are coming around. We're, you know, we're kind of making our, our plans for this year, which have changed um, since she's not around anymore. And, uh, but we're just talking about how much she loved uh, the holidays. And we'd go down there, and, and she'd, she'd get my son Dax, and they'd just bake cookies together. And um, she'd always, um, on Thanksgiving morning, she'd lay out these gifts. It was the, uh, you know, the chocolate advent calendar and then pajamas. And she'd do it for all of us, even the grown kids. You know, and so we wouldn't complain. We're like, oh, yeah, give me my calendar, right? And give me my pajamas. And it's just these traditions. And so we're just having this discussion. And my son Dax, who's nine, and uh, he's in the back, and he just he makes this small, subtle comment. He just goes, "Yeah, I don't really remember Mima anymore." And man, any of you who have experienced grief, you know it comes in waves. And you don't always expect when there's just going to be a moment that it just hits you. Man, that was a moment for me. It just, it was like a tidal wave, just over, like, and I just, I just felt so robbed. No, we're supposed to still have these memories. We're supposed to still have Thanksgiving pajamas and the advent calendars and cookies on the counter. And my kids are, they're, they're supposed to grow up remembering these moments. And this is what grief does. It just, it just hits us. And, and for many of us, I would say a majority of us in this room, we've experienced grief in, in new ways, even over the last handful of years. See, see grief, it can be a lot of things. A grief can show up as, as the death of a loved one, something you really care about. But it also, we grieve over friendships that we've lost these last handful of years especially. Am I right? Man, that's worth grieving we grieve the loss of community or, or this shift or this change that we go through. We grieve the changes in our family dynamics. For many of you, as you went home for Thanksgiving or had people over you know, the last few weeks, things are different. 
Things have changed. This is something we grieve. We grieve the life we once had before everything changed. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, what do we do with our grief? There's this incredible story in the Gospels. It has this small line. It's after John the Baptist had, had died. It says they binded up the body. His disciples binded up the body, and they went and told Jesus. And what I've been learning over this last handful of years is I've just experienced grief after grief after grief is, man, I, I have to bring my grief to Jesus. And so, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to explore what that looks like. So um, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 11. And let me just set this story up. Uh, it's the story of the death of Lazarus. And, and, it's, and we're looking at this interaction between Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, just imagine with me what's happened here. The fear and the pain of Mary and Martha as their brother gets sick and he begins to get worse and worse. Every day they go and check on him in his room and his breathing, it just seems to be more and more labored. He's not getting better. There's this deep wheeze and they try everything, don't they? If you were his sisters, you would try everything. Natural remedies, they're boiling water that it would fill this tiny little hut that they live in with moisture. They've called upon the physicians. They've offered up prayers and sacrifices. They've fasted and they've burned incense, but the room is just still filled with the sound of his cough, his labored breathing. And then finally, one of them looks at each other and says, we have to go, we have to send for Jesus This has gotten so bad, that's our only hope. And and they've had interactions with Jesus. Jesus, he's a dear, he loves Lazarus. He's a dear friend, so they know he'll come. Mary is loved. Martha is loved. We know that this Mary is actually the one who goes to Jesus and pours this expensive bottle of perfume over him and washes his feet with her hair. So, of course, when we send for Jesus, he's going to come, right? He's, He's healing the blind. He's healing the sick. He's allowing the lame to walk. And so he knows us and he loves us. So when we send for Jesus, he's going to come. And so they send for Jesus but he doesn't come right away. I just, just feel this moment for Mary and Martha. And so, so we pick up the story in verse 32. Lazarus, he's died because Jesus didn't come. It tells us that it was about four days after Lazarus' death that he finally shows up. And so this is the interaction in John eleven thirty-two. 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And it tells us in the text that Jesus, he he wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Man, just picture this scene with me. When Jesus finally shows up to this village, Mary and Martha, they're just deep in grief. They're wailing, they're crying, they're mourning. 
and all those, their friends, their family, others in their church community have come around and are grieving and weeping with them. And Mary, she comes up and she starts making these deep theological statements. If you had been here, she's asking questions, why weren't you here? And Jesus, he, he can barely even speak. He's not given all these answers and he just weeps. See, what, what I need us to understand is that Jesus drew near. Jesus came to grieve with us. He, he is a God that enters into our pain. And this is, this is fascinating to me because Jesus has two things that we don't. First, he has knowledge, and second, he has power. And here's what I mean. Jesus knows what he's about to do. Jesus knows that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, yet he still grieves. And we walk into situations and we're like, man, if, if I just knew what God was doing in the midst of this, then maybe I wouldn't have to grieve. If I just knew what he was going to bring about this broken relationship or this loss of life, then maybe I wouldn't feel so broken by it. Yet Jesus knows what he's about to do, and yet he still weeps. The second thing he has is he has power. He has power to do something about it, to bring about change. And we think, man, if I, if I, could, just, if I could just change the situation, then I wouldn't grieve. And so we ask ourselves, man, if he has knowledge and he has power, if he knows what good is going to come out of this, he has power to make change in this, why would he grieve? Why would he weep? Let me tell you why. Because Jesus is perfect love. And he will not allow himself, even for a second, even for a minute, to shut off that part of his perfect loving nature, that he enters into our pain. He will not close off his heart to us. It had been so easy for him to just say, oh, him show up in the midst of this grief and like, oh, you just wait. Oh, you're going to see something incredible today. Today's a good day. No, he enters in because he is not some distant deity, you guys. He's not some far off God saying, okay, do what you want. And I'm disconnected. No, he is a God who draws near. This is why we celebrate the arrival of Christ because he enters into our pain. He is perfect love that enters our pain with us even though he knows what he's gonna do in the end. And so I would say there's a couple things even looking at this response that we need to take away. Here's the first one is that grieving is a proper theological and emotional response to loss and tragedy. Man, we have to grieve. There's nothing wrong with it. You have to let it hit you. If you stuff it, it's still in there somewhere. It's under the surface. And I think the truth is there, there's some of us in this room that, that we have not grieved some of the tragedies that we've faced over the last years and decades and months. And we think, no, I, I just don't have the strength to deal with it. I don't have the strength to mourn in this way. And it really, grief really is like this crashing wave. And, and you don't know what's going to trigger the tears or the pain. But here's what I would argue is those waves, they're moving you somewhere. And you have to let them move you there. And where they're moving you is they're pushing you towards your healing in the great healer. They're pushing you towards the shores of God's presence and grace. It tells us in the scriptures that he is close to the brokenhearted. 
And he is not distant in those moments. And so maybe you've lost someone long ago and you've never properly grieved. And it's still in there somewhere. And I, I, I just, can I just encourage you today, if the Son of God, who knows all things, has all power, is omnipresent in all situations, if Jesus wept, then it's okay for you two to, to acknowledge the brokenness of this. Here, here's the second thing. is We have to understand that the act of mourning, it's meaningful ministry. That, that we actually can engage. This is one of the ways we engage in ministry with those is by mourning. We minister to people, to others, by mourning with them. See, there, there's, this is how we usually operate in these situations. There's fixers and there's truthers, right? right? So uh, every husband out there, you're a fixer, aren't you? You know? Like, well, you shouldn't have told me about it if you didn't want to solve. What are we doing here, right? And so in fix it, it's good. There's a place for that. And, and look, but it's not enough in the midst of grief. We need it, right? So a, a friend of yours goes through a tragedy. It, listen, there's things that have to be taken care of, funeral plans that have to move forward, a GoFundMe set up, talking through next steps. I, I get that. But here's what I need to, you to understand, that that is not enough. That is not the fullness of what somebody needs in that moment. And the truth is we show up and we think, oh, man, if they just knew truth, if we could just lay out a theological framework for death and resurrection in this moment, they'll be great. No, no, we, there is a, an aspect of ministry, of ministering to others that is just coming along and embracing the humanity of grief. And this is what Jesus displays to us. And we, we go in and we enter into the lives of people and we grieve with them. We need a theology of mourning. That, that yes, we grieve as those without, we don't grieve as those without hope, but we still grieve and we still, we still mourn. The Hebrew people, they had this practice they called sitting, called sitting shiva. Shiva is just the Hebrew word for seven. And when somebody in their community, loved one, a friend, was going through grief and mourning, they would go and they would sit with them for seven days and they would actually get these stools and they would sit low to the ground. And they wouldn't say anything. They weren't there to offer solutions. They weren't there to have discussions. They were just there to be present with them in their mourning so they didn't have to mourn alone. Man, isn't that incredible? And, and it's fascinating as we open this text and we look at the story it says, Jesus, he goes to Mary and Martha, and who else is there? Their, their whole community is with him. Why? Because it's day four of seven. The, the community is there it, it, grieving with us. And, and here's one of the things I've learned and I've realized in grief. When others are going through grief, we don't know what to do, right? We don't know what to say. There's times where we're like, do I ask them about it? Or is that the most offensive thing? Do I, do I even ask, like, how are you doing? Oh, that's stupid. I, and so what we do is we clam up and we say nothing and we do nothing and we just pretend it's not there. But, but here's what I want to encourage you to learn from Jesus in this and just enter with people. You don't need to say anything, but just be there with them. Romans tells us to weep with those who weep. And so just go and just be present with them. Don't avoid them in their grief just because you don't know what to say but just come alongside. You don't have to say anything, but letting them know, man, I'm, I'm here, and I'm just gonna sit with you. We had this um, 
friend of our family, uh, his name was David, uh, that was a, just a huge part of my, my upbringing. He, he worked for my dad at the time, and he just was there for, um, he had moved from New Zealand, and so he had this amazing, like, accent, right? He was talking about my, my sister Marley. He's like, ah, Mally, she's a smack girl. That Mally, you know? And uh, I'd ask him, David, how do, you, like, how do you tell the difference between, like, New Zealanders and Australian, you know, somebody from Australia? Like, he's like, oh, it's easy. He's like, the New Zealanders are all the good-looking ones, mate, right? You know? And so, okay, fair enough, right? And so he, he's just, he kind of, he just grew up around us, and we hadn't seen him for years. He'll, he'll send us Christmas cards, and, uh, you know, he's just, he was a part of our family, and he got married and had a kid, and my parents, they just kind of, you know, they, they just were always present in his life, but now he, he, he lives down in the Los Angeles area. He's a CEO of this massive company down there, and when my mom passed away, um, David came up, and he did something different than nobody else, even in our family, did. He just sat with us every day. He had all kinds of responsibilities. He had a family back at home. He had a multi-million dollar company to run, and he would just sit in our living room with us. Sometimes we'd tell stories that we'd laugh. Sometimes we'd just sit in silence. And he just sat with us. And I will never for forget the way he ministered to me like Jesus in those days of grief by doing nothing other than being present. See, Jesus, he came near to enter our grief and our pain. He is not a distant God. And so why do we bring our grief and our suffering to him because he weeps with us. Though he has every answer and every solution and every, to every problem, he knows what he's gonna do, yet he still grieves with us. But he enters our grief uniquely with a purpose. See, Jesus came to face off with the curse of death. We talk about this idea that the curse is broken. Uh, he came to face that curse head on. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was what? He was deeply moved and greatly troubled. So the, the, these are two Greek words that are, to be honest, are terribly translated. So greatly troubled means to quake with rage. Deeply moved, it means it's, it's, the, it's the noise that like a horse or a bull makes. It's chorting. It's this like, you know, this, you know that angry noise when, when a, you know, hopefully you haven't faced off many bulls, right? But it, it's, it's this barbaric animal noise of like, like I, I'm just quaking with rage. He's bellowing. He's yelling with anger and, and rage. He's filled with anger. One, one commentary says it's lexically irresponsible to translate this the way that we have. Deeply moved, right? You know? Uh, try that with your kids next time. They're just putting your emotion. I am deeply moved right now. <laughs> I am greatly troubled, right? Is that, is that the, no, the, the, the reason we translate it this way is because we're afraid of Jesus' anger and his rage. You know why? Because in our humanity, when we get angry, we, we point it at the wrong things. See, what, what do we get angry at? We get angry at ourselves. In grief, we get angry at ourselves. Why didn't I go and see them? 
Why didn't I have that last conversation? Like I, didn't, like, I never even got to say goodbye to my mom. Like, that is brutal. And I just kept thinking, like, man, why didn't I go? Or, like, I felt so angry at myself. Or we get angry at others, don't we? Like, why didn't they get help? Why did they face this addiction year after? Why couldn't they have finally gotten help? We get mad at doctors. Why didn't they see this soon enough? We get mad at politicians and governors and leaders. On, on. We, we direct our anger at all kinds of people. We direct it at ourselves. Or we even direct it at God. We, we can ask deep questions in moments of grief. It's good. God is not afraid of these things. It's good and healthy. But we should not direct our anger at God in these moments. You know what's incredible about this passage? It tells us that Jesus could have come earlier. It says, now when, when Jesus, when he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, so that when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Somehow, out of his love and his grace, when he heard about Lazarus' sickness, He's like, I have to stay here for two more days. And then he goes to, I believe, Judea. He has to go visit another city. Somehow our perfectly good and loving God has allowed for this to happen. And so it tells us in this passage that he's quaking with rage. He's angry. So what's he mad at? I've heard all kinds of terrible teachings on this. Well, he's mad at Martha and her lack of faith. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, just sit down and be quiet, okay? Is he mad at God? Is he mad at himself? Is he mad at Lazarus? You guys, he's mad at death. He is angry at the tomb. He is raging at the curse. John Calvin puts it like this. He says, no wonder he groans again for the violent tyranny of death which he had come to overcome stands before his eyes. This is a face-off with the curse. And he looks at the tomb and he sees the brokenness and he remembers Genesis 3 and the fall and the curse that came upon his humanity that he loves and he quakes with rage and he's angry. He's like, "This this is the enemy that I've come to deal with, death itself. And so we, listen, we should quake with rage at death. We shouldn't step back and just, you know, we try to give these pithy answers, oh, you know, this is what happened or this is why, no. We should actually look at death, look at the loss, look at this grief and be angry about it because this is not how it's supposed to be. This is why Paul writes to the church of Corinth and says the last enemy to be destroyed will be death itself. And so when death snatches life away too soon, respond by going to war with the brevity of this life and live with purpose. Be like, man, this life is short. Every conversation, every interaction I have is meaningful. When you grieve the loss of a loved one, love those around you even harder. And when you grieve, when you see a friend, bury a child. When you see a friend disconnected from a family member. Press even harder. Hold your kids tight. Love those. Work through the brokenness and say, no, 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 this is not a friendship. This is not a relationship that will fall apart. When tragedy strikes and the relationships around you are falling apart, be a force for good and light in your world, in your community. Bring God's hope and his redeeming presence into the relationships around you. 
See, Jesus, he has this rage. He has this anger, but he does something with it. He says, out of this grief will come a resurrection. And this is why, over and over, we have to keep coming back to the gospel. What he's saying is that something even better is going to come out of this tragedy. See, earlier in this scene, he has a conversation with Martha. I want you to, I want you to look at verse 21, at the beginning of this interaction. It says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, that whatever I know, that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I mean, that's, that's powerful. But look at, look at Martha's reaction. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. She gets like, yeah, 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 I, I understand theology. My, my brother's dead. That, that's no consolation to me in this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, yeah, I, I get he will rise again. But why weren't you here? Tells us in verse 25 that Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, Jesus, he came to reveal the gospel story. This is a glimpse of the power of the gospel. He weeps, he rages at death. But Jesus, he doesn't use this moment to speak fluffy false truths that offer no hope. He takes this moment to share with Martha the gospel. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. This is what we need in these moments. See, when people, we don't know what to say, people don't know what to say to us, so we're in the middle of the grief. And so what do, what do, what do people do? They say these false, fluffy truths. Do you know why? Because they feel good, but they do no good. False truths feel good, but do no good. These are, these are some of them I've heard. I've been at funerals. I've walked through grief. I oh, mean, she's a butterfly right now. He, just li he lives on in your heart. They're, they're a sunset, and every time you see the sunset, that's where they are. They're a star. You lost your child because, you know, God needed an angel, and now they have their wings. The, the, we say these fluffy things because we think they feel good in the moment, but there's no baseline to them. There's no truth. These false truths feel good, but they do no good. Those of you who have you've lost, look at me. If you have lost ones who are in Christ, they are not a butterfly. They are not a sunset. They're not living on in your heart. They're not an angel with wings. You know where they are? They're with Jesus Christ in paradise right now. That is the truth. And that's what we build upon and we need these things. See, the truth we need in, the in our grief is the gospel message. That's what we need and that's what Jesus gives. Here's the let me just walk you through it, why it's so important. First, we are created in God's image. You know what that means? Each and every one of us, we are eternal beings. There are no mere mortals in this room is how C.S. Lewis puts it, okay? So can you put that up there? All right, so creation. This is where we start. We are created in God's image. We do, not, we do not just cease to exist at death. It's not like you close your eyes and then just darkness. Okay, anybody says that, that's because they have no answers. We are not created just for a short season on this earth and then poof, 
We are gone. We are created in God's image, and therefore we are eternal beings. That's beautiful. That is foundational to who we are. This is why we feel so broken and robbed when somebody dies. Like, whoa. We all know death is coming, right? Each and every one of us in this room, I'm sorry, it's terminal, whatever you have, right? It's called humanity. But we feel robbed. Why? Because it's not supposed to be that way. And so the first part of the gospel story is creation. Second is fall. We have to understand that sin has left its curse upon this wounded world. That's what we looked at a couple weeks ago. We looked at Genesis 3. And that is the fallout of sin is it separates us and it leads to death. And so this is why our grief and death, it's actually evidence of the fall. When we say this is not how it's supposed to be because we know innately, internally, all of creation is speaking to God's glory in a powerful way and each and every one of us, we are in desperate need of a savior because of our sin and brokenness. And tragedies, they're proof of the fallenness of this world. This is what Jesus is angry at. He's angry at sin. He's angry at death. He's angry at the curse. But Jesus showed up for our redemption. What this means is he came to set us free from that curse of death, and it's beautiful. It's incredible. Look at verse 30. It says, then Jesus deeply moved again. You see that? This, out of this anger, out of this grief, he's moved towards action, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. It's the only, the only verse the King, old King James gets right. He stinketh is what it says, okay? It's like, are you kidding? No, 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 no. He's dead. Jesus you should have been here four days ago and you show up now and you say, roll away the tomb. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? See, Jesus does something about death. He rolls away the stone. But here's what we have to understand. It comes at great cost to Jesus. At the end of this story, there's this conversation with the Pharisees and they say, if we let him go on like this, everyone's gonna believe. Now that we've seen this now we have to kill him. And this is what's so incredible about Jesus. By ending Lazarus' funeral, he began his own, and he didn't care. This is what he came to do. This is redemption, that he would take our place. Yes, we are created eternal. Yes, there is a fall that separates us from God, but he's the one who's gonna redeem us and set us free if you believe. Man, belief is so key. He doesn't offer some consolation. Hey, one day, you'll be able to forget this. One day things will be happy and it'll be okay. No, no, no. Jesus offers a resurrection. There's a big difference between a consolation and a resurrection. A consolation just says, hey, things are gonna be all right. A resurrection says, this will one day be untrue. There are some of you in this room who daily grieve the loss of somebody you love. Can I just tell you that one day you will hold them in your arms if you are in Christ? And you will catch up and you will have memories and you will have moments. And you, it, it'll be as if God goes back over the whole history of time and just rewrites it in that moment. And you will experience a joy that will be unexplainable in that moment. 
Because all of this resurrection and ultimately leads to a restoration of all that was broken. A restoration means that one day God will restore all things through Christ. And this is the truth we need more than anything in our deepest moments of grief, that the tomb is empty, amen? Man, that, that, that grave was borrowed by Christ. D.L. Moody has this incredible quote. I just think about it all the time. He says, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher out of this old clay house into a temple that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. That, if we are in Christ, that is our future. That is what we need. That is the restoration, the redemption, the renewal of all things. This is what Jesus is doing through the gospel. And this is why this story is so important. Because he's giving us a glimpse that Jesus came to make all sad things untrue. That he will rewrite our story. It says, so they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud, loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound in linen strips, and his face wrapped it with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, Jesus, he flexes his divine authority over death itself. I just, this scene, is just, it just moves me every time I read it because it is a scene that you and I get a, we'll, we'll get to experience one day, each and every one of us. Jesus is revealing that he is the resurrection. And I, I love that he says, Lazarus, come out. He doesn't say, come out. You know why? Because there's so much resurrection power on the very tip of his tongue that if he didn't specify, the, the entire gravesite would empty. <laughs> no, 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 just Lazarus right now. Everybody else, hold on, Lazarus. See, and we can't read this story without understanding that Jesus allowed this death to happen for a reason. It tells us that Jesus, it's because of his love for Mary and Martha that when Jesus gets word of Lazarus' sickness, he doesn't come yet. He allows this death to happen. If you look all the way back to verse four, this is what he says. But when Jesus heard it said, heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This word glory, this is our whole purpose tells us we are created for the praise of his glory. To glorify God means to look at his incredible attributes and praise and worship for him, him for it. Say, you are so good. You are so powerful. You are so compassionate. You are all-knowing. And what Jesus is saying, he's like, I'm gonna give you an, a, a unique glimpse of my glory. This is why Jesus came. 
that we would understand that this death, it gives us a glimpse into the eternality of life, that this tragedy, it's a display of his unwavering compassion, that this glimpse of the fragility of life is a tunnel into his resurrection power. See, Jesus came to give us a glimpse of his kingdom, and this is what we're seeing. Everything he does, every miracle, why didn't he heal everybody? He's giving us a glimpse of his kingdom, a glimpse of heaven. See, when Jesus comes and he makes the deaf hear, you know why? It's because one day we will get to hear his voice in our ear. Every one of us will be, will be healed of what keeps us from hearing. Why did he make the lame walk? Because one day every knee shall bow and then stand and run into his arms and embrace his holy presence? Why did he make the blind see? Because one day we will see Jesus face to face. Do you see this? He's revealing, the, he's giving us a glimpse of the kingdom. Why did he feed the hungry? Because he's the bread of life. Why did he set the captives free? Because one day all of us shall experience freedom in Christ. Why does he comfort the brokenhearted? Because one day he will wipe every tear from our eye and he raised the dead because this is a glimpse of eternity. It reminds me of that scene at the end of the Lord of the Rings, if you made it through all 12 hours. <laughs> and, and Samwise, he's laying there in bed, and Gandalf walks in. Now, we know the story. We know, we know that Gandalf has been alive. You know, he's now Gandalf the White, right, all along. But, but Sam, he's just been in Mordor, right? He, he thought Gandalf was dead. And he sees him, and he's like, Gandalf! I thought you were dead. And again, I thought I was dead. And he just asked this question. Will everything sad one day become untrue? Man, that is the picture that we long for in eternity. Listen to me. One day, for each and every one of us who have rested upon the gospel, put our faith in Jesus, we will walk with those that we miss dearly in eternity. We will run and eat and laugh and play and celebrate that the curse of death is no longer upon us. We will have an eternity to make up for the lost moments and memories that we feel so robbed of. Because of Jesus, even the grave tragedies of this world will one day become untrue. This is the gospel. This is grief into gladness. And so my, a little over a year ago, my sister, not too long after we had to bury our mom, now my sister lost her son. And she walked this grievous process. And if I'm honest, what terrified me was when our mom passed away, she distance herself from God. How could God be loving? How could God be good? And so when she lost her son, that was one of the things I was absolutely terrified. I was like, this is just gonna put her over the top. But what's incredible is in the depth of her grief, it pushed her in a unique way into the arms of Jesus. You know why? Because when you lose a child, eternity better be real. Resurrection better be 
the hope that we long for. And she wrote this, this story about it, and she sent it off to me. I just want to read the end, because it just moves me every time. As the weeks went on, my feelings evolved from questioning why God would allow me to even get pregnant in the first place, if he was just going to take my son from me at the last minute, to being grateful that I was chosen to be Everett's mother. If I had never become pregnant in the first place, then Everett would never have existed. Of course, I wish the outcome were different. I long more than anything to have him here with us. But if this was the only outcome, I would do it all over again and carry him inside me for those nine months to get to hold him and see his sweet face because he existed. I know that I will get to see him again in heaven one day. And I am so looking forward to that day and how wonderful that reunion will be. Man, that's the power of resurrection. That's the only hope that we have. One day, the curse will be broken. And so for those of us who grieve, yeah, we grieve deeply, but we don't grieve as those without hope. And so here's what I want to invite you to do as we close in worship. Um, I want to invite you to come forward. And we have a bunch of candles up here. And we have some um, lighters. And as we're singing the song, just, you know, push your way past people. They don't, they, trust me, they don't mind. They don't care. They understand. And come forward and think about those people that, you grieve the loss of. Maybe it is a death. Maybe it's a loss of a friendship that you thought would be there forever. But something that you're grieving. And I just want you to come forward and I just want you to light a candle and do it in honor and memory of them. That's the first thing. But would you do it as a prayer that what Jesus said, that he would be glorified would you do it as an act of glorifying him and his goodness? Even if you, we don't, look, we don't know and we don't understand. We don't know the why. We don't know what's going to come out of it. But here's what I do know. Someday we will see Jesus face to face and we'll say, you are so good and you are so gracious. And may I worship you with all that I have and may you be glorified through this grave tragedy. And so, Maybe you need to take a moment and go take communion in the back of the room to remember his grief and his brokenness. Maybe you need somebody to just come around you and pray with you. All around the back of the room, the prayer team would love to. But would you stand with me uh, as I close in prayer? And then we're gonna worship Jesus and we're gonna bring him glory. Lord, this grief is heavy and it's painful and it's hard. We don't know all the answers, and even if we did, we would still mourn and weep like you did. Thank you for entering into our grief with us. Thank you for mourning with us. But thank you for offering us hope that you will do battle with death itself. And that tomb and that grave will be empty one day, Jesus. And you are seated on your throne, 
high above all, and we can worship and glorify and praise you because you are a resurrecting king who is resurrecting me. And so we lift you high in this time of worship. Would you see our grief? Would you meet us in it? And Lord, would you bring about all these situations that you know that we don't? Would you somehow use it for your glory and your worship? We pray all this in your name. Amen.